Today on the show, I'm happy to have Brennan Woodruff. He's the co-founder of GoCharlie.ai. They're the AI marketing assistant you deserve. <laughs> and you recently had a realization of the power of choice you actually have. Yeah, it's, it's a story that I haven't told very much, but before GoCharlie, I was part of SoftBank's vision funds. And my two years there was, was a pretty trying period. I tried a whole bunch of different roles. And towards the end, everybody knows that I left SoftBank and, and went into GoCharlie. But what most people don't know is I was actually put on a performance improvement plan, which is really hard for me to talk about because I've always been a high performer and overachiever. And I woke up the morning after they told me that, 5.30 in the morning, and my boss asked me if I saw something that came in overnight. And granted, I had went to bed at 2 a.m. And I wake up at 5.30 a.m. and I'm just sitting there like, how would I have seen this thing? I was sleeping for three hours. And then it clicked in my head that I was choosing this chaos, that I was choosing to be underappreciated, that I was choosing to do four roles at once for the pay of one. That's not to say that's a bad thing, but it made me realize that I had the power to choose if I wanted to continue to be here. It had nothing to do with a performance improvement plan, everything to do with I'm choosing to be here. And so it was this beautiful moment of now I'm going to choose me and I'm going to choose what I want. And that was ultimately to go try to build something from scratch. And whether or not that's been as chaotic is a whole different story. But for me, it was this beautiful choosing you, choosing the path that you wanted to ultimately gate me into go Charlie. And if you're working those crazy hours, you might as well be for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. I would much rather have some equity in the company that I'm slaving away to, to make happen. So now that you've made that leap, what's the new chaos? Ooh, it's a great question. I think that the first la layer of chaos is always internal. Anytime you're trying to do something new that you haven't done before, you're con you, there's this constant cyclical thing going on in your head of like, I think this is the right answer, but is it the right answer? Who might know what the right answer is? Should I go read this book to figure out what they would have done? And it's this like crazy internal chaos cycle in imposter syndrome, if you want to call it that. I think it's something a little bit more evolved. That's the first layer is just like doubting yourself, self-doubt. And so you got to really remind yourself and believe even when you don't think it's probably proper to believe. I think the second part is like, you're also for us, we're all first time founders, except for our CTO. And so it's been this whole nother level of assuming that people have knowledge is just going to hurt you long run. So you have to move as a team and learn together. So like. We have AI PhDs. They know how to build AI. They may not know how to productionize it. Our CTO had to learn all that, but that only comes through time of being able to admit that you have some shortcomings. And then the final layer of chaos, which is the people that are paying you for the product. So we have a Facebook community and anytime that something like breaks, I'm going to hear about it or I'm going to get reamed out on a email chain. So that's the last layer of chaos, the external parties. So all of it is beautiful chaos. I think the beautiful chaos is, is part of the journey. You hate it when it's there. You miss it when it's gone most of the time. So that's the more chaos that we've traded, traded the old role in for. But at least now it seems that you're, you like this chaos better. Yeah, I think I've always been comfortable in chaos. That's probably a deeper seated question for another podcast, but <laughs> I was at KPMG flying all over the world when I was 22 years old, talking to Fortune 500 CFOs. That was crazy to me. But at the time, my egotistical self was like, yeah, this is exactly what I should be doing. It's just hilariously misguided. And then I went to Uber and was helping them launch new products, helping with the IPO filings, all that sort of stuff. And that was stuff that I had never done before. And so that was chaotic. And then SoftBank was a whole new realm of things I hadn't done before. And so all of this 
I think I've always tried to frame my careers. What's challenging? What sounds interesting? What sounds really cool to do? And whether or not that's resulted in the best situations remains to be seen for other people to judge. But for me, it's always kept it exciting. How did the Go Charlie business come across the plate? Yeah, the importance of networks, if you want to call it that for this segment. My fraternity brother that I hadn't talked to in eight years from Indiana University, we always said that he was in the matrix because he was the only computer science major. And now he's the one laughing at us. But he asked me about how to structure early stage startup equity packages. And so from my time at Uber and SoftBank, I had some acumen. Unknowingly, I was consulting the CEO of the company that he had done his PhD with. So like I was consulting that guy and then I was looking to leave. And then all of a sudden this opportunity arose and I was like, yeah, generative AI is going to be the next big thing. And that's ultimately when I took the plunge. So it was a matter of network and kind of serendipity with like when I was looking to make a change and the opportunity. So this is the first take at entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. it's, I think all of my other jobs have had some aspect of entrepreneurial spirit. I'd say probably KPMG the most because had to think about what do I want to put my time into to learn to then ultimately sell to clients in the future. But this is the first true entrepreneurial thing where like the weight of entrepreneurship is on me. If we do not succeed, people don't get paid, people's lives are impacted. Whereas at KPMG, I never really felt the risk that like things might go sideways and everybody's gone. You help a lot from a capital understanding side of this, which a yeah. lot of startups don't have. Yeah, I think I definitely bring some acumen that is atypical at this stage of startup. Again, imposter syndrome is always a real uh, fun situation to go through. But I think I provide some expertise, some understanding. I think you always want a second opinion on anything that's going to be material to the company. But it definitely made it a lot easier for made the pitch decks and framed our story. And then he ultimately was able to sell the vision. So it's a, I think we make a really good one-two punch. What are your recommendations on that side for startup founders who just don't know how to deal with that? Yeah, I would say, man, the best advice I could give to founders is like the same advice I would give for dating. It is not a matter of you, of them wanting you. It's a matter of, do you want them to be a part of your journey? This was a very hard perspective change for me, not only in the dating sphere, but also in the fundraising sphere, because it is a privilege for an investor to work with a startup. It is also a privilege for a startup to work with an investor. But from a founder's perspective, you always need to think about who do I want to let into this journey? Who do I want to let into the house? Second is with fundraising, keep it simple. There's no reason you should be doing anything other than a safe at the very early stages. Third would be just starting with your network, right? So there was a lot more money in my own network than I ever previously thought, but there's going to be key people in your network that know other high net worth individuals that want to bet on. So early days, you always start with who wants to bet on you. You do not need an institutional round of VC to get your idea off the ground. Find other ways to finance it. There's plenty of them. VC is for when you want to pour gasoline on a fire and it comes with a whole set of other costs that you wouldn't be thinking of. Can you explain what a safe is? Yeah. So a safe is a simple agreement for future equity. I did not know this term when I joined. So don't feel bad if you didn't. Effectively, what that means is that you are signing a piece of paper that doesn't give someone shares. It just says at a future date, if the company is worth this or more in a future fundraising round, the money that I put in will convert at this price. So let's say that you raise around at $20 million valuation and your safe was at 10. They're going to get a fourth multiplier for investing at 10. So they get a benefit of their shares converting at 10 million but actual price of the round is 20. So they'll get more shares in the company. 
That's the easiest way I can describe it. It gets a lot more technical depending on the terms you put in. But it's a super simple way for you to execute document quickly, get capital into the company without having to redo the articles of incorporation and other documents. So that's the benefit on the founder side? Yeah, that's the benefit on the founder side. On the investor side, it's not as beneficial as a convertible note gives the redemption ability for the investors. A lot of investors are trying to do that to founders right now. Founders get away from that if you can. Investors, like if you're trying to do a convertible note to give you some risk out, then maybe you probably shouldn't be participating in that startup. That's just my personal opinion. Convertible notes take just as long as like normal legal requirements. So if you're really going down that path, just do a price round and be done with it. The paperwork is crazy. It, it, I've just seen too many bad situations. You're not acting in good faith of the founders. Those are great tips. Uh, very useful for a lot of yeah. founders listening yeah. on this episode. I try to be actionable, man. I, I don't know how many times you've listened to people speak in startup events or panels and stuff. I always just find that it's very, it lacks depth. And I think that if you ask one or two more questions, probing questions, you get to something that's actionable. But startups don't need people like yelling proverbs at them. They need people to tell them how to do stuff they haven't done before. Exactly. Well, now they know safe is the way to go. Safes are safe. Safes are safe. So if our listeners wanted to get in touch with GoCharlie or learn more, how could they just? Yeah. So GoCharlie.ai, G-O-C-H-A-R-L-I-E.ai. We're doing a, a new product launch on September 6th. It's going to be wicked. For startups, content creators, marketers, that's a way that you can check it out. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. We're pretty active on Twitter. If you have questions, we also have a Facebook community that supports our product. Pretty much sign in, play with it. We have a free tier. Charlie doesn't bite too hard and you'll have some fun being able to play with the product and then ultimately have access to us through that. Thank you, Brendan, for coming on the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.